following information has been contributed by Stand to Reason founder and president Greg Kuckel. It has been edited for broadcast on The Origin of Reason. Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Do you take the Bible literally? The question is usually presented as an attempt to cast doubt on the one being questioned. And then it's followed up with a straw man critique, citing Jesus describing himself as a door or the bread. It's a question designed to make you look foolish, feel demeaned and belittled, to silence you in an argument. How would you answer that question, or would you even answer that question at all? It's a question that comes up with some frequency, and it deserves a response. Just know the reason the individual is asking you such a question. It would be a sincere question needing a sincere, considered answer if the inquisitor is serious. But you have to be able to discern the origin of the question in order to answer appropriately. To be honest, the thinking man, the studied man, who has an understanding of the Word of God does not take everything literally. Jesus indeed is the door, but he's not made of wood. We are indeed the branches as described in the book of John, but we're not sprouting leaves. And Jesus is the bread of life, but he's not made of dough and yeast. On the other hand, we do take seriously accounts others find to be fanciful and far-fetched. A man is made of dust. Loaves and fishes miraculously multiplied when Jesus blessed them and broke them and fed thousands. People have risen from the dead. And a short answer to the question, do you take the Bible literally, is either yes or no. How's that? Such an answer really wouldn't be helpful if just left alone at that point. Neither answer gives a full picture. And in fact, I think it's the wrong question since frequently something else is motivating the question. But let's start with the definition. According to the New Oxford American Dictionary, the word literal means taking words in their usual or most basic sense without metaphor or allegory, free from exaggeration or distortion. Why do you think people balk at this common sense notion when it comes to the Bible? Or more precisely, not the Bible as whole, but to particular passages in the Bible? Let's face it, even non-Christians read the Bible in its usual or most basic sense most of the time. But when they come to controversial subjects and topics that they have an opinion on, they readily make statements such as, do you take this literally? They like the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. They like the idea to remember the poor, and they take that at face value. But when they cite Jesus' directive, do not judge, they're not deterred by the challenge. You don't take the Bible literally, do you? We're not supposed to judge, but yet you judge. No, when critics agree with the point of a passage, they take the words in their ordinary and customary sense. They naturally understand that the language works a certain way in everyday communication, and it never really occurs to them to think otherwise, so they just read along. Unless the details of the text trouble them for a particular reason, they generally won't offer any kind of challenge to you regarding literal translations. But what of the opening chapters in the book of Genesis? Here we have a straightforward account describing a historical event, the way things actually happened. Were Adam and Eve real people? The first human beings? Was Adam created from dust, literally? Did Eve come from Adam's rib? Did Jonah really survive three days in the belly of a big fish? And did a virgin truly give birth to a baby? 
These are subjects of mockery and ridicule by university professors, businessmen, and the Greeks in Athens. To a lot of people, these ideas are so far off the wall that it's hard for them to take the statements at face value. So they have to say, do you really translate these things literally? And yes, at times, it is in view of questioning your intellectual ability. Sometimes, the critic simply doesn't like what he reads, you know? He abandons the literal approach, and when he comes across something in the text that offends his own philosophical, theological, or ideological sensibilities, he has questions. Jesus is the only way of salvation? That's a bit strident, wouldn't you say? No way. Please. And hell? Would a loving God truly send anyone to an eternal place of torture? Not a chance. Do you really take these things literally? Now, notice the objection with this teaching is not based on, on some ambiguity where the questioner has an alternative understanding that is plausible and worth consideration, since the scripture affirms these truths in the same clarity as love your neighbor. No, these verses just offend the guy. And suddenly, the critic is not a critic, but a skeptic. He smirks and says, do you take the Bible literally? Really? Generally, this is usually the basis of a challenge. And he's asking you to, to prove your position and to state, you know, the ideas behind this ridiculous notion that these things are literal. An example would be helpful here. In the law of Moses, homosexual activity was punishable by death. If you read Leviticus 18, 22, and 23, you'll see that it was not allowed under the Mosaic law. And if you believe the Bible and you take it literally, then logically, conservative Christians must universally hold to the concept that the execution of homosexuals is biblically sanctioned. Of course, the strategy with this argument is obvious. If we do not promote executing homosexuals, then we can't legitimately condemn their behavior since both details are in the Bible. It's wrong and they're supposed to be put to death and yet we condone them. If we don't take the Bible literally in the first case, then we can't by logic, take it serious and literally in the second case. Now that's being inconsistent, and in the minds of many it would promote bigotry and, and hypocrisy. But have you ever considered that? How would you respond to such a question? Well, you'd have to use care and precision with your definitions. That's how. Now here's our first question. When Moses wrote the law, did he expect the Jewish people to take those regulations literally? If you're not sure how to answer, let me ask it to you in another way. When an ordinance is passed in the state of Kentucky, would you take that law literally or figuratively? Do you think that the state legislatures intended for us, the citizens of Kentucky, to understand the words of the regulation in their usual, most basic sense without metaphor or allegory, free from exaggeration or distortion? Or did they assume that we would interpret it according to our own meaning? Of course, they expect us to take it literally. And literally, they have the force of law behind the meaning that has been established by what's in writing. Laws passed by Congress are not written in figurative language, which allows each citizen to get creative with the meaning. The same would be true for the Mosaic Law. Moses meant it the way he wrote it. But now it seems that we're stuck. We painted ourselves into a corner. To be consistent, should we not currently campaign for the death of homosexuals? Doesn't that seem logical? The Old Testament speaks of that. 
And if we carry on and keep reading, aren't we also obliged to promote the execution of disobedient children and the Sabbath breakers? Both are capital crimes in the Mosaic Law. No, we're not, and here's why. Just because a biblical command is intended to be understood literally, it does not mean that it's intended to be applied laterally. That is, universally across the board to all peoples at all times and in all places. The laws that govern in Europe are not all applicable in the United States. The laws written for Israel were not established and written for the Egyptians. Consider this situation. Jesus told Peter to cast his net in deep water in Luke 5 verse 4. Now that's exactly what Peter did because he took Jesus' command literally in its ordinary sense. So he took his net and he cast it out into deeper waters. He had no reason to think otherwise. However, because Jesus' command to Peter was literal, does that mean that some command, or that the same command applies literally, or laterally, laterally, to everyone else? We're not obliged to cast nets into deep water every time we go fishing, just because Peter was told to do so. Now, that would lead to the question, should I use a net when I fish? Or what if I'm at my pond where the water's real shallow and a net really wouldn't work? It, another way of looking at it, Kentucky laws are to be read literally, but they don't have lateral application to all states. They only apply to the people living in Kentucky, and not every state has a law forbidding their citizens from carrying an ice cream cone in their pockets. But Kentucky does. Nor do other states have a law that prohibits women from walking down the highway while wearing a bikini if they weigh between 90 and 199 pounds. These are literal laws in Kentucky. But they don't apply laterally to Missouri, to Mississippi, to Tennessee, Ohio, or Indiana. In the same way, the words of the Mosaic Law, like those of all laws, are to be taken at face value by anybody who reads them. Yet only those under its jurisdiction are obliged to obey the precepts that are laid out in law. So the question continues. Were the Jews supposed to kill homosexuals then? Is that what you're saying? Well, I would say, read the law as it is written and understand the context and time. The Jews in the theocracy were expected to obey the legal code God gave them, including the prohibition of and punishment for homosexuality. It was not the legal code God gave to Gentiles. Therefore, even if the words of the Mosaic law are to be taken literally by those under the jurisdiction of that law, does this not mean that in our current circumstances we're to be governed by the details of that law? That you and me are to be covered, uh, to be governed by that law? The clarification is necessary, and we have to look at it and consider. Am I saying that nothing written in the Mosaic Law is ever to be applied to Christians or other Gentiles? Or that there are no universal moral obligations that we all share with the Jews of Moses' time? No, that is not what I'm saying. Though Moses gave legal statutes for Jews under theocracy, the law in some states still reflect moral principles that have an application to you and me and everybody outside of the nation of Israel. And yes, we can gain wisdom and moral guidance from the law of Moses for our own legal codes, but there are limits. Working out those details is a different discussion. The question here is not whether we take Mosaic law literally but whether we are as citizens of the United States, and even more particularly, 
as Christians in the church, are we now under that legal code? No, we are not. The law is meant for Jews living under a theocracy defined by their unique covenant with God. Simply because a directive appears in the Mosaic Law does not, by that fact alone, make it obligatory for those living outside of Israel's commonwealth. Americans are a mixture of people. We're a plurality of beliefs and ideology. We live in a representative republic governed by a different set of decrees than the Jews who lived under Moses. We're not obliged to obey everything that came down from Sinai. And that may sound heretical to a lot of people, but it is a fact. Just because it was commanded of the nation of Israel did not necessarily mean that it's commanded of you and me. If anyone thinks otherwise, I would say you really are duty-bound to take your net and cast it into deep waters. All the time. You have to fish with a net. Now, with that confusion aside, I know it's a point of contention for some, we're still faced with our original question. When do we take the Bible literally? Well, if I'm asked if I take the Bible literally, I just say, well, that's a wrong question. Most often, you ask the wrong questions and you get the wrong answers. You simply say instead, do you mean do I take the Bible in its ordinary sense? That is, do I try to take the things that are written there with what we think the writer meant to write? And I would say, yeah, that, that's the way I look at Scripture. Now, the person wanting to argue with you is getting a bit snarky. And he's trying to pick a fight. He's wanting to challenge you because there's a point of contention that he can't rationalize or accept. Well, the inquirer then is prompted to request a clarification. What do you mean by that? Well, good. I would ask them if they read the newspaper every day. And they might say yes or no or sometimes. But okay, so you read the newspaper. Do you take everything that newspaper has to say literally? Can factual information be part of every story in the paper? Well, yeah. But you don't take everything written by every reporter in a literal way. That ignores the conventions of writing. Literally? Well, if he asked me if I take it literally, I would say that depends. And if the writer seems to be stating a fact, like a score, a baseball game, score, or a location, or the governor's name, and he mentions the president, then... I'll take those things as literal. And if he seems to be using a figure of speech, then I'll read the article that way, figuratively, not literally. Every writer employs a method of allegorical writing. They use precise words when needed and metaphors when needed. They use various methods to describe what happened. Why would they do that? Because they want to clarify what's being said so that you might understand it. They choose phrases to convey a sense of what happened in that instance. Now, they might be moving in an ideology that you don't agree with, and they might be seeing it from a perspective which you cannot accept, and that's fine. There can be disagreement. Reporters routinely use words like annihilated or crushed or mangled, mutilated, they stomped or pounded, and yet nobody really speculates about the literal meaning. They understand what's meant. Readers don't scratch their heads wondering if cannibals were running around and all of that was involved when they read the sports column that, where a writer said the Bengals mangled the Bears. Do you stop and ask if that, that writer was speaking about something in India because he mentioned the Bengals? Did they have an animal fight in the zoo and he was there? Or do you take what he has written literally? No. But if not, 
Why not? You're asking me that. Do I take the Bible literally? Now, most of the time, it's because intrinsically, we know that the writer of a particular article is trying to say something. We're understanding how the language works and how the writers write. So when we encounter obvious figures of speech, we take them as obvious figures of speech. Now, that's the normal way to read. It's also also the normal and responsible way to read any work, including the Bible. You always ask, what is the writer trying to say and what is he trying to teach me? This is exactly what is meant by saying, take the Bible in its ordinary sense. And of course, somebody's going to come along that will differ with a clear point the Bible's trying to make. And that's fair. There's nothing dishonest about disagreement. And they might think some Christian is mistaken on meaning and misinterpretation is always possible. Conjuring up some meaning that has little to do with the words that the writer wrote, though, is not a legitimate alternative. We should take care not to make a statement say more than it's intended to say. We could be wrong. And this can lead to moving in a wrong direction in our lives. However, this is not done intentionally, and the individual is truly sincere. He's simply misunderstood what the passage has to say. And he may ask, should I take this literally? Well, that's why there's so many denominations and there's so many various views. If somebody disagrees with the obvious sense of a passage, you ask them why they would disagree with what's written. What do they think the text should say? And how are they coming up with an exception to the ordinary sense of what it says? Their answer will tell you if their challenge is intellectually honest, meaning that they're having trouble with the passage. They don't truly understand it. Or they're having trouble with what the writer is saying. Now, there's a big problem. People will disagree due to theological preferences rather than contextual accuracy. Well, I believe this way, so that passage can't say that. No, the passage says that, and you believe wrong. Well, that simply doesn't fit into what I feel about this subject. Well, that's where we come into problems, right? Reading any writing the ordinary way requires that we understand two particular points about figurative speech, implicit in the concept of metaphor. Referring back to the New Oxford American Dictionary, it defines metaphor as a figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which there is no literally applicable sense. A thing regarded as representative or symbolic of something else. So, metaphors take one meaning of a word and then creatively leverage it into another meaning to make an impact on you. A man is seeking to build muscle and weight gain. He goes to the gym and lifts weights and stuff, and he has to eat properly. So he begins to eat plenty of calories and plenty of proteins and lots of meat. And in describing his eating habits, you tell a friend, man, have you seen Bob? He eats like a horse. So you use a metaphor that simply says Bob eats a lot. Now, if we take that literally, imagine the picture of Bob walking about with a feed bag hanging from his face as he eats. Or watch him as he trots over to a trough, bends down and takes a long, cool swallow. Now, when you're asked if you take the Bible literally, this essentially is the picture the individual is placing before you. Either the individual is ignorant of metaphorical depictions in writing, or he is simply telling you, look, I want to argue because I don't accept what's being said. Here's the first point to be clear on. All metaphors or other forms of figurative writing rely on literal definitions before they can be of any use as figures of speech. 
all words must first be understood in their usual or most basic sense. When a guy eats like a horse, and we stop and look at the literal definition of what it means to eat like a horse, then we know and understand, really, by definition, a horse eats a whole lot. So that is a clear definition that we understand of a horse. So when we hear that phrase, he eats like a horse, we take the real definition of what's being said, and we apply it to Bob. And we realize that, no, Bob isn't eating like a real horse, but he's eating a lot of food, because that is the sense behind the true definition. So we look at the figurative speech. We find a word for an example, shepherd, prominently featured in the 23rd Psalm. And so you see that we first have to understand the literal meaning of a shepherd before we understand the Lord is my shepherd. Is that a figurative use of the word? Yes, it is. Or if it's literal, does that mean I'm as a little sheep and the Lord has a staff and whatnot and he goes before me or behind me and he keeps me in line like that? The point is critical if you're going to accurately interpret what the Bible has to say. And here's why. Sometimes we attempt to solve problems of interpretation by digging through a Bible dictionary. And this can help, and it's a good place to start, but since all figurative language trades in some way on dictionary definitions, the dictionary is not the final word. It can never tell you what use a specific writer had when he applied that word as a metaphor to a situation. He came in like a tornado. Was he spinning and blowing a lot of wind? That's the literal interpretation of a tornado. No, the writer's trying to say something. And strictly speaking, since no word is a metaphor, as you find it in the dictionary, words cannot be used metaphorically unless they're used in a context that gives it understanding. Therefore, it makes no sense to ask of a solitary word, is this word meant literally? Because the word standing on its own gives no indication. You have to look at what he said. What is the context? Dictionaries, by definition, can only deal with words in isolation. Other things, context, genre, flow of thought, determine if the word's literal sense is being applied in a non-literal way, regarded as a representative of something else. Take two sentences. A guy walks in, he sees his wife, and he says, Honey, you're the ray of sunshine to me this morning. Now, sunshine's literal meaning is the same in each case, right? Brightness, warmth gives life. The sunshine that streamed through my window is not the exact sunshine that I'm talking about with my wife. I'm using the word sunshine metaphorically. Unless my wife understands the literal meaning of what sunshine is, that it brings warmth and life and light and all that, she'll never really understand what I meant by giving her that compliment. So first, literal definitions must be put in place before a word can be used figuratively. You need to know words and definitions. Second, metaphors are always meant to clarify something, not confuse it. There is a sense in which figurative speech drives an author's meaning home in a way that words taken in the ordinary way could never do. All good allegory, according to C.S. Lewis, exists not to hide anything, but to reveal things, to make the inner world more palatable by giving it an imagined, concrete embodiment. Figurative speech communicates literal truth in a more precise and powerful way than ordinary language can on its own. The strictly literal comment, honey, your presence makes me feel good today, though is a good phrase, does not pack the punch and the, the uh, affinity that the word, honey, you're, you are my sunshine, provides. A metaphor makes my precise point more powerful than words used in their usual and most basic sense. 
Now remember, even when a metaphor is in play, some literal messages are always intended. So once again, it's always right to ask, what is the precise meaning the writer is trying to communicate with his colorful language? Well, if there's one bit of wisdom to learn, a rule of thumb, never read a Bible verse and isolate it on its own. Now this is an old illustration, one that I've heard many times, is where a gentleman was looking seriously for the will of God for his life. He was in a pinch, he had sinned and done something, and he was really feeling downcast, and he opened his Bible, and he read a verse about Judas. And Judas had just betrayed Christ, and he felt bad, he took his ill-gotten gain, and he threw it into the temple floor, and then he went out and hung himself. He read that passage in Matthew 27, verse 5. He committed suicide, literally. Now, being troubled by this particular verse, this, this guy quickly turned the page looking for something a bit more encouraging. And so he landed on Luke 10, verse 37, that instructed him to go and do likewise. If you take the verses in isolation out of context, with no context behind them, what are you supposed to do? Do you take these things literally? The conclusion is ridiculous, I know, but this is how some people find their guidance and direction. They take verses out of context and they apply that verse to their situation. So moving out of context, people end up with wrong conclusions and they end up doing strange things. Always read the paragraph. Always read the chapter if you can. And if you quickly go through the paragraph, try to say what the writer is saying in the passage where you're having trouble. Say it in your own words and your own understanding and try to fit it into what the writer is saying. See if it fits. Does it fit in with this topic? Does it fit in with this application? Does it make sense? What's the flow of thought? When you see the larger context, you're able to understand the single verse. And then you're able to, to reason properly. And of course, the Lord will guide you in this and help you to understand these things. And finally, you just see if your application works. And if it doesn't work, you back off and say, something's not right here. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't dovetail with what I'm reading. Don't forget that rule. Never read a Bible verse in isolation. Always read the paragraph, at least, if you want to see what you're reading with understanding. So you want to ask, do I take the Bible literally? Fair question. I try to take it at its plain meaning, unless I have some good reason not to do so. That's the basic rule that we apply or should apply to everything that we read, to novels, to newspapers, magazines, poems, why should we take our look at the Bible into a whole different way of understanding and try to spiritualize everything and make it ethereal to where it's so fuzzy that we can't understand anything? I don't believe that is what the Lord is wanting to do. He was writing to ordinary people who had an ordinary understanding. This is who he addressed, and this is me, and this is you. And these are things we have to understand and get a hold of because right now we're going through the book of Genesis, and there are a number of things that a lot of people argue with. Are the six days, seven days, are they literal days? Do you take that literally? Well, what does the context tell us? Now, we can pull things out from here and there, here and there, and try to change the flow of information. But what is written, just take it as what it says, as far as you can. And when it really gets difficult, try to find and understand what the meaning is. Why should we look at the Bible any differently? If we're seeking to understand these things, we will grow in our understanding, truly, of the origin of reason.
I want to thank you very much for participating in this study, and I'm glad that you've joined us, and I hope that you continue as we continue through the study of Genesis to understand the origin of reason. Thank you very much.